Where are you? Well, I'm at home in uh, Victoria, B.C. Victoria, B.C. Up in Canada, way up north. I've heard of that. I've heard of that. Yeah, Memphis used to be way up north to me, you know. <laughs> I, I was at a festival recently, and a guy did a song called Way Down South in Memphis. And I thought, <laughs> is there another Memphis? <laughs> Egypt. Egypt. Yeah, the one I knew was way up north. Yeah. <laughs> where I lived. You ever hear that Fugs tune? Ramses II is dead, my lord. He split from Memphis to heaven. No. That's <laughs> like that. Ed Sanders, you know. Yeah. You ever know Ed Sanders? I never met Ed Sanders, but okay. I sure did listen to him when I was in college. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you're a big star now. Oh, man. You are. God damn, you are a big star now. Well, you, you know, uh, I wish somebody would, would tell me that. <laughs> I tell tell my agent and my wife and the kids, you know. I tell all the ticket buying public, you know. So you, uh, you, you've won these two prizes. Yeah. Two awards. Yeah. And did, were you surprised that you came back for the second one? I, mean, I, 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 I know there was a year, there was a year uh, in the middle. Yeah, I was nominated that other year, I, and I was yeah. nominated the year before I won the first one. Mm -hmm. So I've had like maybe five straight nominations. But uh, I sure didn't expect to to win it again. And uh, I, uh, you know, it was it was a delight. I was I sure was happy about it. Because uh, the first one, you know, the first one kind of said, welcome to Canada, uh -huh. take a seat. And the second one said, looks like he's here to stay, you know. Why? So, uh, that's true. Well, he just found out what we all knew here. Well, <laughs> you know, we, we've got quite a, I don't think anybody down there realizes what a, what a scene we've got here in Canada. You know, and have had for a long time. Uh -huh. I mean... If you look back on it historically, there's a reason why guys like Lonnie Johnson, who moved to Toronto, uh -huh. and Van Pianaman Walls, who moved to Montreal, uh -huh. you know, and Ronnie Hawkins, who came up from Arkansas. Why all these guys came up here, and you can't find an example of a, a blues man or a rocker coming north to Canada who didn't stay, except Jesse Winchester, but that was a special circumstance. Yeah. Why do they stay? Well, because it's just a great music scene, you know, uh, the people are friendly and uh, very supportive of the musicians. They buy a lot of CDs. Um, it's it's like, it, it's sort of like how I fantasize in my memory that the music scene was back in the late 50s. You know, the clubs are kind of like that, uh, uh -huh. real listening clubs, wow. even for blues acts. Wow. Um, so... Even for blues acts, that's Even funny. Even for blues acts, you know. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, there are probably more soft-seat theater gigs up here than uh, I was expecting to find. And, and, of course, just like the, you know, just like the States, you have great music festivals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All, over, all over Canada, and I've played most of them now. And uh, I tell you, they're... They're very well attended. The acts at them are great. Uh, a couple of years back, I wound up sharing a dressing room at uh, the Southside Shuffle in uh, 
Is that the one that was over in, in uh, Port Credit, uh, uh -huh. Mississauga, Ontario, where Oscar Peterson lived? Uh -huh. And uh, the sign on the door said David Vest and Mitch Ryder in the Detroit Wheels. <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> we were never in the trailer at the same time, but I got a picture of the sign. <laughs> you know, I don't know where else that could happen. Yeah. You you were you had a, you were at a festival not long ago. I, saw, I I hear you play with Pee Wee Ellis of James oh, yeah. Brown's band. Well, the the great the greatest festival here on the Vancouver Island is the is the Vancouver Island Music Festival, which uh -huh. brings you know really big stars every year. This year they had uh, Lyle Lovett's big band and uh -huh. Large Band or whatever he calls it, and Graham Nash, uh -huh. and we did this little show called. Uh, I suggested the title from Memphis to Monk, uh -huh. but then Doug Cox, who books the festival, got this idea of let's make some unusual combinations on the stage and see if we make something happen. So if you, if you were sitting in the audience, looking at the stage from right to left, first there's this uh, BC fiddle player named Daniel Lapp, and he's got some of his fiddle students with him. <laughs> Next there's uh, John Jorgensen's, four-piece bluegrass quartet, you know, with Herb Peterson on banjo and John uh -huh. Jorgensen on man. John used to play, you know, bass with the birds. Uh, he's played with everybody. And and then you move a move a little further to the left. There sits Peter Damon back in behind everybody. <laughs> and then we come to uh, me sitting at the piano with the great jazz pianist, uh, Jason Wilson from Toronto. <laughs> and Jason has brought his jazz group with him. Uh, and a special guest uh, with along with the group Pee Wee Ellis. Wow! So there's there's Jason Wilson's band. There stands Pee Wee Ellis and the other horn player in Jason Wilson's band. And next to them, on the far left side of the stage, there's Amos Garrett. Jeez! Amos <laughs> Garrett, the Amos guy that played Garrett. the guitar solo on Midnight at the Oasis. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, one of the greatest guitarists that ever lived. And and I'm thinking, man, I I, I wish I'd studied up on all of his songs because I I don't want to get embarrassed like I don't know his tunes. Yeah. But he called uh, Blue Monk and Mysterioso. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Played the hell out of them, too. And I learned from Amos, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting on in, in years, too. Amos has got this new rule about touring in wintertime in Canada. Uh -huh. and, and I just wish I'd thought of it. And the rule is expressed this way. If it's snowing, Amos ain't going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, uh, you know, I should have applied that long ago. I toured northern Ontario in January with, you... a, with a little break in Buffalo, New York. Oh, jeez. That must have this been year... tropical. Buffalo must have been tropical compared to... Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you got that lake effect snow there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, this this year I went to Manitoba in, in January, Winnipeg, Manitoba. I mean, I mean didn't, you're didn't, talking we're talking north of North Dakota, right? <laughs> didn't somebody tell you that about that? <laughs> well, in February uh, it was it was northern Alberta, uh, and uh, and and uh, Saskatchewan. Jeez. So I'm in I'm in Saskatoon in in, in February. But I go down to the hotel lobby, and there sits Roy Bookbinder, so I don't feel so bad, you know. He, <laughs> at least I didn't drive there in my camper van. 
<laughs> All the way from Philly, huh? Yeah, probably. He says, is he, I guess he's still, he's, he's still living in Philly, I wonder. I don't know where he lives. I, I think he just lives in that camper. In a camper. <laughs> camper shell on the back of his pickup or whatever it is. <laughs> That's funny. So all those people were playing Monk? Oh, we, we were all playing Monk. Uh, Even the bluegrass over, band? Can, fiddle player, it's your turn to call a tune. So Daniel Lapp oh. looks over and says, how about uh, Friday the 13th? Which is a monk tune even I've never played live. <laughs> Friday the 13th. What's next? Gallops, gallop? <laughs> we play Friday the 13th. And we play Blue Monk and Mysterioso. And we play In Walk Bud. Yeah. And uh, and some other stuff, too. I can't remember what I was I played. remember one time at Duff's, old, old Duff's Garage when you you brought Paul Brainerd up. With yeah. Your band and, and you played Monk. We played Ugly Beauty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I did a, a, a show called Vest Plays Monk here last October that uh -huh. was, uh, you know, it was very well. It was a sold out show. And, I, you know, everyone knew I was just going to play Monk. Yeah. Yeah. The second half, we relented a little and did some boogie woogie. But <laughs> I did a whole set of Monk and didn't play any of the famous songs. Wow. You looked on the set list. You didn't see Round Midnight or Blue uh -huh. Monk or, uh -huh. or Straight No Chaser. Or, uh huh. Any of that stuff. We played crisscross and yeah, yeah. Uh, we we played ask me now and nutty, <laughs> uh, Aronel. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, don't don't forget who played Monk Light in Vermouth on the radio for years and years in in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, I played that on that night with the Is band. You? I'm sure you did. I'm and, sure uh, you did. Man, the sax guys were going nuts with it. They they. Uh, <laughs> It was a lot of fun. I played that song a lot on the radio. I have another one uh, that called Sphericality that I've written now that we, that we played too. Uh -huh. I'll have to send you an MP3 of that. That'd be good. Well, Except, if you do, you know, I, I like I put a couple of these up on my my iPhone app. Uh huh. Now, now, Tom, it's important for me to point out that that I'm not just the world's oldest living promising young pianist. <laughs> You know, there's more to me than that, right? Yes. I, well, we know that. I, I, I'm the world's oldest guy that's got his own iPhone app. <laughs> it's, all, it's free for iPhone, Android, and 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 Blackburger or whatever that is. <laughs> uh, and, and so I put a couple of these tunes on my app, and I get this call from a record company. Let's do lunch. So I go to the lunch and you know order a cup of tea, and the guy says. Uh, What's this I hear about you doing a jazz album? <laughs> well, I'm not doing a jazz album. I just did a show. I just want to, you're not doing a jazz album. <laughs> and I, I well, that's the, that's the worst thing anybody can say to you. Yeah, yeah. Tell you tell what you're not, not do doing. Something. Yeah. <laughs> that guarantees you'll go do it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I just have a lot of fun playing all kinds of music and uh, I don't know why I should throw a net over myself. And, uh, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, well, play with one hand tied behind my back or something. Yeah. Like why, why, why start that now? You know? Yeah. Leave my imagination at home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's never, that's never going to happen. 
<laughs> yeah, man, I just listened to this fairly recent release of a Big Joe Turner and Count Basie and his orchestra in Europe in 1972. Wow. It's on that tour they did, and it's yeah. all live, of course. And and basically, Big Joe sings his hits, but in the instrumental interludes, the band just plays whatever they want to. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Big Joe turns around and says, all right, Count Basie, play that blues piano for me. And you hear not one note on the piano and the trumpet player stands up and plays a muted solo. <laughs> and Big Joe says, they, oh man, these boys can change the bulb, but they can't change the light. <laughs> I remember seeing him when I lived in LA in 77. I remember, I remember seeing him, uh, Jay McCann one time. I bet James Harmon backed him. Could could have been. Uh, it was some little club in the valley, and he would. It was you know he would, had to sit right. He sat on that on that bar stool, uh-huh. and he would just sit there. And when it came time for him to sing, he would like inflate, like he would just inflate. He'd become like two people. I mean, he'd become another person. Yeah, and and sing and belt it out and be great. And when his verse was over and the time for the band to play, just sink, sink, sink back down, sort of deep late, and sit there till it's time to sing again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, I can understand that. Yeah, I, I can too. I like <laughs> to sit sit around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I I see the, the name of your band is still the Willing Victims. Yeah, yeah. But who 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 are they? This well, the, we got the Eastern victims and the Western victims and the Island <laughs> victims and the way up north victims. Uh, it's the same guys that were on the last couple of CDs. Uh, uh-huh. Gary Kendall and Mike Fitzpatrick, both from Downchild. Uh-huh. You know, and Downchild's been a legendary blues band in Canada for forty-five years now, mm-hmm. uh, and and deservedly so. I mean, if anybody's ever heard them live, knows what I'm talking about. And uh, and Teddy Leonard, who used to be play the lead guitar for Fathead, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's mostly us us four. Mm-hmm. But out here on the island, you know, I have have my secret weapons. I have a a guy named Joey Smith who's from East Tennessee. Really, I had to come to Vancouver Island, an island in the Pacific Ocean, off the coast of Canada, to find this bass player from East Tennessee. <laughs> so. Uh, so I, I asked him who he's played with. He said, well, I, I was with the Glenn Miller Orchestra for a couple of years. And then that was. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we've got, got great players. Uh, yeah. That's one thing about, about Canada. You, anywhere I go in this country, there's great players hmm. who can jump right up there and play it. Uh, uh-huh. It's just, a, it's really kind of astonishing. I guess it's true in the U.S. too, but I. I think of it differently now that I live up here where the cities are fewer and further between, you know, like it's a, yeah. it, it's a, it's a much longer drive from Vancouver to Edmonton yeah. than it is from uh, Seattle to Portland. You probably, or, or to anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, are, are you, you, you're doing any recording? I am. I'm in the middle of a project now, getting the new CD together. I've I've recorded more than enough for an album, but I don't feel like I have an album yet. Uh, 
and I'm, you know, playing it for different people and getting ideas and suggestions and thinking mm -hmm. about going back into the studio and doing some different stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, right now I don't, I don't have to put one out every year and, and or, or at all until I'm really happy with it. Yeah. And, uh, since, you know, when you get to be my age, any, any CD could, any recording could be the last one. So you right. want to make it. <laughs> represent yourself yeah I, uh, believe me i understand that yeah <laughs> yeah like I, uh, I had about i picked out about 10 tunes i thought these would make a nice cd and i played them in the car over and over and then i realized that's practically no piano on them <laughs> really and, yeah and uh, it probably people would expect to at least hear a little bit of piano on a cd by me <laughs> yes that's very true are you uh, playing some other instrument uh, no, uh, uh, just featuring a lot of guitar. Huh. Uh, I mean, Teddy would have the hot hand in the studio. I just let him go, you know, unless uh -huh. I'm lazy. <laughs> you going to go back and add some? I think I got to go back and redo it. I can't, I can't just add stuff. You know, I, I can't pretend like we're all playing live when we're not. Really? I mean, I suppose I could do it, but it, it wouldn't feel real to me. Huh. I mean, when I put on a record or a CD or a tape or whatever, I, I want to hear that sound of the musicians listening to each other. Uh -huh. This guy responding to that guy and this conversation going on. And, yeah. if, and if you're there playing by yourself where nobody else can re react to you, that's like one-sided conversation. Yeah, yeah. And to me, I, uh, it just doesn't feel... Honest and real. I'm not saying people that do it that way are dishonest and unreal, but that's just the way I feel about it. Hmm. I, uh, you know, not that I wouldn't, you know, go back and sing a line again or something if I, yeah, loved the words or whatever. But uh, <clears throat> and there's some guitar overdubs on some of my uh, CDs. But as far as just going back in and playing a different piano track than the one I was playing when I was there with the band. Uh -huh. That would feel to me like uh, I might as well make a karaoke record. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even like to, to to do the vocal after we record the, the instrumental that, part. Is that right? Yeah, even if it re like we record it with the whole band right now, and I get up and I go into the vocal booth, I feel like I'm a karaoke singer. I'm singing <laughs> along to pre-recorded music, even though yeah. I just recorded it a minute ago. <laughs> and, and all I can see is people making all these funny faces, trying to look like uh, Paula, whoever, or what I don't know any of their names. Oh yeah, right, right. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and to me, I mean, the the whole idea of the blues is it's real and it's honest and it's direct. Just like you know, I don't like to try to sound like anybody else because the minute you start doing that, you're you're stepped out of the blues. Right into something else. Yeah. I think it's a kiss of death for a young guitar player, for example, just to be told he sounds like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh yeah. 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 Do anything to keep from having anybody tell you that. Right. <laughs> Cause I know what Stevie Ray would have said anyways. If, if you want to sound like me for God's sakes, don't listen to me. <laughs> he said that to anyone who would listen. Is that right? Yeah, you need to listen to the old guys that I grew up listening to if you want to sound like me. <laughs> I mean, I didn't learn to play like this way, like copying my records. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, well, did uh, you start out copying anybody? Well, 
not, not copying, but I'm not, I don't mean copying, but I mean, I, I, I can remember definitely trying to cop licks from people and yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> but I suppose we all did, you know, uh, there, there were a lot of gospel piano players that I dug and listened to. And, and uh, mm-hmm. I, it would never would have offended me if anybody told me I sounded like Mildred Falls. Uh-huh. Nobody ever did, but I would have yeah. liked that. <laughs> but usually when people think, think you sound like somebody, like they don't know the names of very many piano players, right? Right. So they'll tell you you sound like Jerry Lee Lewis or like Liberace or like Elton John. Yeah. It's very rare that, that you meet anybody that can name another piano player than those three. Right. I had I had this drunk come up to me at a, a solo gig I played here, and this guy could hardly stand up. And he says, I can't tell you how much you remind me of Victor Borger. <laughs> the only piano player he could name he'd ever heard of, I reminded him of. So that's that's what that's how much that means. You know. Must have been the accent. Yeah. Well, and you know, the older older guys would tell me something like uh you know, that that uh, instrumental album Ray Charles did early on with Rock House on it and all that and Sweet 16 Bars. They'd say, listen to this. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, you know, D- D- Dizzy Gillespie in his autobiography um, said that uh, when he was when he was young, he thought that if he could pl- if he could if he could sound just like Roy Eldridge, then he could go on and do anything, he, any, anything he wanted. That was his goal, was to sound like Roy Eldridge. Well, you know, uh, a lot of jazz musicians talk that way. I mean, John Coltrane. Yeah. John Coltrane, for God's sakes, said this, and I quote, we'd all sound like Stan Getz if we could. There we go. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, and it's just like I'm fond of saying Bobby Blue Bland's idea of a great singer was Perry Como. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Really? (laughs) Yeah, yes, that's. <laughs> you know, my grandmother used to call him Perry Coma, and she went. It wasn't a joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a there's a little clothing store in Galveston used to be there, and the guy that sold me a sport coat one time said that he had his hair cut by Perry Como when Perry was still working as a barber. <laughs> Philadelphia, someplace I don't know. <laughs> you know, there's there's three or four or five generations who don't know who we're talking about. Right. right. <laughs> hey, did you hear about Generation Z? No. What's what's? They're biting the ass of the millennials. Oh, are they? And thank God, it's about time somebody was biting their ass, because oh, they're the yeah. ones that are coming coming up behind the, the millennials. Oh, <laughs> young whippersnappers. Yeah, there was a piece in the New York Times about Generation Z. Hmm. And they don't well, like millenn- They don't like millennials either. Well, <laughs> Well, who's going to come after Zed? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't There's know. no Z in Canada. It's Generation <laughs> Zed. <laughs> they say zebra, by the way. No. Says zebra. Oh, okay. No zebra. Who says zebra? Somebody says zebra. Some some. I don't know. I, I haven't heard anybody say that word, but All you right. know, they say uh, cougar instead of mountain lion, and they mean they mean a big cat. You know, they're not. That's yeah. not a a clumsy reference to women that yeah. a, the, the, I mean, the headline story here this morning is this guy uh, out on the West part, West part of the Island, a cougar runs into the yard and snatches his daughter. 
What? It's got the little girl's head in its mouth. Jeez. And the guy goes over and punches the cougar in the nose and makes it let go. And and then they get into the standoff throwing gorilla dust at each other. And finally the cougar runs up a tree. But, you you know, you got to go out and punch him in the nose and get your kids back from him up here. (laughs) (laughs) Man. We had a full-grown mountain lion walking around in broad daylight in my neighborhood for three weeks last year. What, he what? got he's sighting almost every day around noon. Like oh. there he goes, sauntering across the school playground. And nobody shot him because nobody has guns, right? <laughs> well, no, they nobody has <laughs> guns, but they call the authorities by the time, the time they get there. You know, he's, he's long since vanished because yeah. if they don't want to be seen, you can't see them right. Yeah. Except after two, after about two weeks, these posters start going up on telephone posts. Have you seen Muffy? Jeez, oh, <laughs> oh, man! Uh, uh, <laughs> you know he's, he's just eating his way through pet world. You know. Uh, have, have you found that you have to keep your keep your temper down because you live in Canada and everyone's no. so nice? <laughs> no, it's it's. Uh, well, it is really, really nice. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, people get angry here, too, and they just do it in different ways. And, yeah. yeah. And um, I think there are just as many Canadians as Americans that, you know, get on the Internet and fulminate. Uh-huh. And I, w- I was talking with some young fellow the other day. He'd been arguing with people in YouTube comments. <laughs> and, and, and somebody he'd argue with had threatened to look him up and come to his home and... <laughs> And believe me, brother, I know how to do it. You know, so I just, <laughs> oh, I, I just, you know, don't like to argue with people much. Anyway, I, I find it. Uh, I'd rather yeah. eat pie. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, hey. you had, you had that, you had that sort of. Uh, uh, you, you, you came to the Northwest first, which yeah. is like that, that's one, that's one place to, one, to, to, you know, to, to, to find out how to, to you know, not, not yell at people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yet, you know, I'd lived in uh, Texas for so long yeah. that uh, I had become unaware of how much a sense of just everyday violence was all around me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Down there. Uh, I understand. <laughs> I mean, there was some article in New Yorker about a, a fender bender in Houston. Yeah. Uh, two cars trying to come through an intersection once had a fender bender and 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 the drivers got out and both men went for their guns. Oh, jeez! Like he went for his gun. I mean, where did he go <laughs> for it? You know? Yeah, really. So, <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, I, I just, it, it's very interesting to observe the phenomenon of say something like uh, like Donald Trump from the from the perspective of being out of the country, you know, and living among Canadians. Uh, and uh, it's it's like a lot of things that used to seem funny to me. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> yes, kind of a yeah. sick humor to me. Don't seem so funny anymore. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Well, but actually, a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people here, here feel that way too. He's, he used to be a he used to be a joke, and now he's not so funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, <laughs> uh, but you know, but you know, we're having a we're in the middle of an election here right now. Yeah. Like, yeah, they, they nobody they, here knows that, you know. Yeah, they dropped the writ two or three weeks ago. I beg which your pardon. Means they started the election. This, the election is going to be in early October. So the uh-huh. whole thing takes place like not quite all of September and, and October. 
and it's over with. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it's not like two years of dummies debating. Yeah. Uh, just answering gotcha questions and yeah, and with the, with you know moderators trying to pick a fight. Oh. Are you going to let him say that about you? You got, yeah. <laughs> oh jeez, I wonder. I, you know, I'm surprised that the, that some of those guys on the on the debate stage aren't packing. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's next. I mean, what it is. Somebody's going to come. Somebody's going to pull out a gun and shoot and shoot one of the one of the, the one of the candidates is going to shoot one of the other candidates. Not one. One of the guys that's not getting enough attention is just going to shoot into the air. Yeah. <laughs> Get the cameras over to his side. Of the Speak, stage. Speaking of which, I was looking at, at your at your website today, and I, you know, I, I've I've talked to you for a long, long time uh, uh, about various things. But I did not know that Farron Young threatened to kill you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. First thing he said to me, I was in the dressing room alone, down under this coliseum in, in my hometown of Huntsville, Alabama. I didn't live there anymore, but I'd gone there to play the show. Yeah. And I showed up fashionably early, and there was no one there. Well, the door opens from the parking lot, in walks Farron Young carrying a garment bag, and he sees me in the corner, and he stops. And looks at me and he says, one word and I'll kill you. Jeez. So I don't even say, okay, because that might yeah, be rather, one word. You know? Yeah, right. Uh, and, and then he, he lays his bag down and turns around, you know, in a quick, violent motion, points at me. I said, I mean it, blankety blank, one word and I'll kill you. Jesus. I'll kill you dead right here. <laughs> Like, am I in the wrong room? If I, yeah. Am I trespassing on his private dressing room? What's going yeah. on? And he went on like this for about five or ten minutes, throwing things and telling me that if I said one word, he'd kill me. And then finally he turned around and said, and that one word is dentist. <laughs> he'd, he'd, been, he'd had to go to a dentist for some emergency procedure, and a guy had hurt him and... Jeez. Not giving him the drugs he wanted or whatever, you know. So he was <laughs> he was angry about that, and he wanted everyone to know not to say that word in his presence. <laughs> but for 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 a good ten minutes, I thought he was he was serious about killing me. Yeah, yeah, I and he might have it. been, you know. Yeah, he might have. You never, you don't know, you know. Yeah, toothache's really bad. Yeah, you ever hear ever ever hear that watermelon slim tune? I got a, I got a toothache. No, it is the greatest toothache song ever written. It is so perfectly descriptive of how bad it is to have a toothache. <laughs> well, it, it could be the other side of Super Chicken's great song called My Own Down Eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to have uh, a mix of your own tunes and, and, uh, and other tunes on this album? What are you going to well, do? Well, so far, it's going to be all my own tunes. Ah, I have recorded another cover. I won't say what it is that might wind up on there because we we did pretty well on it. But uh, uh -huh. you know, it was going to be all my own tunes last time. We wound up having that Hank Williams cover. Yeah, because the band played it so good, and yeah. you know the song's good. Sure. Um, and I it gave me a chance to make the point everywhere I went in Canada uh, about Hank Williams that he was taught how to play music. By a blues guitarist, a black right. blues guitarist named Rufus Payne taught Hank Williams how to play the guitar, how to make the chords, how to put a song together. Huh. 
And the same is true of uh, of Bill Monroe. Bill Monroe, who invented bluegrass music, was taught how to play music by a black blues musician named Arnold Schultz. <laughs> the same Arnold Schultz who taught the father of the Everly brothers, Ike Everly, how to play the guitar. Jeez. I'm not kidding. So <laughs> without these two blues musicians, you know, passing on what they knew to these hillbillies, uh, there, there'd be no You're Cheating Heart or Blue Moon of Kentucky or All I Have to Do is Dream. Jeez. Yeah, there wouldn't be a country music if it weren't for the blues music. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, what makes everybody in the blues so mad every time they think of country music because uh, we all yeah. love it. Yeah. But, yeah. You, you know, they... Uh, they didn't love the people that were doing it. They didn't, they, they excluded everybody. Yeah. It's still <clears throat> almost a, a, a rigidly uh, segregated thing down there in Nashville. I mean, they, every generation or so they'll drag out one guy like country, Charlie pride, or, right. or now right. it's Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, please. <laughs> like that's a country <laughs> singer, right? Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and so to say, look, we're not racist, you know, but everyone knows. And, um, yeah. you know, that, you know, if you listen to Mississippi, John Hurt, you listen to John Lee Hooker and you think if that's not country music, what is right? right. Yeah. So, uh, that whole thing is just, uh, you know, it's not just that the modern country music isn't as good as the old country music, although uh -huh. Lord knows that's true. Yeah. Uh, because they, you know, they don't even know what to copy now. Uh -huh. But it's it's just that the, the, it's always been a closed system down there, and I don't know why all these people want to move to Nashville and become part of it. Right. Uh, I, I, right. I can't imagine wanting anything to do with it. Uh. Now, w w uh, did you ever, ever play the Grand Ole Opry? Never played the Grand Ole Opry. But I see here on your website that you did play with Red Foley in a memorable show. Yeah, that was that was done in Birmingham, and I did meet Red Foley in his office uh -huh. in Nashville when I went up there with a songwriter from Birmingham. He he took me to meet you know Eddie Arnold and Red Foley and a bunch of people, yeah. Cowboy Jack Clements, huh. uh, who had just discovered Charlie Pride and was about to unleash him on the world. Uh, but this was a show where the promoter um, pretended to have a heart attack. And was carried out on a stretcher with all the all the money, you know, all the all the gate receipts. Uh, and and Red Foley bent over him and said, "Red, we'll just give the people their money back and send them home and come to the hospital with you." And the guy said, "No, <laughs> the show must go on." Yeah. <laughs> so we stayed there and did the show while he got in his fake ambulance, which was just like a panel truck with decals on it and, the, and they, they went a couple of blocks away and took the bubble light off and the decals on and and uh, when i when i went to red foley's office i said you know i understand i'm the only guy that got paid for that show because i was a union musician you know they yeah. put the money up front for us and he said yeah not only that but the guy did it three straight nights he did it in birmingham with a country oh, show he did it in mississippi with a gospel show oh, and he man. did it in louisiana with a rock and roll show <laughs> and i later after writing writing this story on counterpunch i heard from a guy that used to work with this promoter this con artist and by then he had, he had migrated into the to, to the rodeo business <laughs> But his big mistake, his big mistake is he took his rodeo 
to the Dominican Republic. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and he had not... He had not figured how how was he going to get his livestock back into the U.S. <laughs> that's what that's what did Larry Sunbrock in. There's a speedway down in Florida yeah. uh, named the Larry Sunbrock Speedway. So he he did some car racing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think he started out with old time fiddle contest, pocketing all the money from that. Oh, I, I guess Red Foley was madder at him than anybody on earth except maybe Pat Boone and married his daughter. Oh, oh, I see. Well, <laughs> you didn't know that, did you? Pat Boone married Red Foley's daughter. I did not know that. <laughs> yes. Did he have it annulled or what happened? I don't know what he had. <laughs> I think he went out there to see him and Pat tried to baptize him in the swimming pool or something. <laughs> at least he didn't shoot him. Well, my favorite Pat Boone story is when, when Bob Dylan put out a gospel record, you know, Slow Train Coming. Yeah. Pat held a press conference and, and announced that he had personally baptized Bob Dylan in his swimming pool. Actually, <laughs> 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 Dylan had never even met Pat. Is that right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Just trying to get in on the story. Oh, man. Yeah. What I don't know why to lie about it. What, what running for president, you know, what's more? I mean, that's like fairly easily verifiable, you know, I mean, just yeah. ask Dylan that, you, you, just yeah, yeah, Dylan, yeah, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you go see Dylan and ask him when, when you get in to see him to ask him, let me know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's about as safe a scam as you could run. really. Hey, what did you think of that Sinatra record? I thought it was pretty great. Did you? Yeah. The whole thing from start to finish. I mean, uh, I like more rocking stuff and stuff with more of a groove and beat to it. Yeah. But they got such a great sound in that studio. Uh-huh. And um, you know, using the same engineer that cut Sinatra. Yeah. Uh, Al Schmidt, right. legendary guy. And uh, doing that in the Capitol Tower where Gene Vincent recorded all those great records. Yeah. And, and Capitol had this, had this unique kind of silence on their records that the music came out of. Uh-huh. Uh, even on rock and roll records they made. And uh, I, I just think, you know, they found a way uh, to demonstrate sort of conclusively that Dylan can still sing. Uh-huh. I mean, these, uh-huh. these are really good performances. Uh-huh. And there's a couple on there like uh, Lucky Old Son, which he's done his yeah. whole career. Yeah. But, Dylan's done Lucky Old Son once or twice a decade for his whole adult career. Uh-huh. And, but his recording of that, it just puts chills on me. It's just like has this kind of epic quality to it. Uh-huh. Well, what are your new songs about these days? Well, I'm not going to reveal that. Uh, what? I, 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 what are you, I, Trump? I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm not, I'd rather talk about something else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the new songs, you know, like I'd hate to talk about one, then it wind up not even being on the record. All right. And there's uh, there's one or two on there that, uh, like the one where I claim to have spent the weekend in Paris with Emmy Lou Harris. <laughs> I don't know if I can get that past the yeah. label lawyers. 
That's and, good. <laughs> and 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 um, and the night with Beyonce and her twin. Her twin. Yeah. Her twin. Yeah, Beyonce has a twin. Is that right? They play tennis. In my song, she does. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> So you doing? Are you doing any uh, any political writing or? Yeah, this, well, kind of uh, that's going into the songs now too. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I uh-huh. I I think I, I used to write a lot of political stuff for Counterpunch. Yeah, that's what I mean. But then uh, after George W. Bush was was reelected, I didn't write very much, except when it looked like Obama was getting the nomination the first time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. I wrote one about how, you know, everyone expects an immediate end to all the tomfoolery of the Bush era, and none of it's ended. I mean, these wars are still going on. Right. Uh, right. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, the big difference is that the, this president doesn't act like a fool. That's right. I mean, if you if you do the same thing as the other guy, you 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 act like an adult while you're doing it, and you speak correct English, does that make you any less a villain? You know. Uh, um, I gotta say, it's it's, gotta, it's easier to take. Well, I gotta say, if he hadn't gotten that the Affordable Care Act through, I'd be a dead man right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's gonna be. <laughs> You know the list of achievements. That's yeah. you know when you take back up, take the camera back and take a longer view of it. You're going to say, well, that that that's a lot of good stuff that got done. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, did you see the movie Selma? No, I have not. I I have not seen that. You know, uh, there's there's a lot in that movie about John Lewis, who's a congressman from yeah. Georgia, yeah, who's who's always been a personal hero for me. Yeah. He's born in Alabama, of course, uh-huh. and, uh, yeah. and he just posted the other day that he had been uh, beaten up and his skull fractured and arrested over 40 times yeah. for the right to vote. So get your act together and go vote. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I, there's a moment in the movie right after, uh, I'm, I was interested in it for many reasons. I was in Alabama during the time, and also my mother was born in Selma. Uh-huh. I have a family connection to it. Uh, the moment in the scene after Jimmy Lee Jackson is killed, uh-huh. and they're having this uh, memorial service, uh, you hear the strains of uh, Pop Staples' guitar uh-huh. at the very beginning of uh, Why Am I Treated So Bad? Unmistakable. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's just when I lost it watching the movie. That's the most yeah. powerful moment for me. They yeah. don't even play the whole song. Just yeah, yeah, uh, huh. yeah. That's um, the music associated with that time yeah. has such resonance for me because of that. Sure, sure, sure. And and uh, and you know, it's it's. Have like, you ever written a song about that? I've never written a song about it. Uh, I would, but uh, you know, I have these ghostly memories floating around in my head. As yeah. as we as we get older, we all do. Yeah. But uh, you know, when when the Staples singers sing "I'll Take You There," uh-huh. there's a moment in it where Mavis says, "Play your piano, Barry," and uh-huh. that's Barry Beckett. 
my old friend, you know, wow. we were in the band together Jeez. and he, he, he was the, one of the two keyboard players at Muscle Shoals, Spooner Oldham being the other one. Uh-huh. Uh, and Barry's in that movie, but only for a second because he died while they were filming it. Uh. Um, you know, there's so many guys that I've played with, uh, like Henry Strelecki. Uh-huh. Henry Strelecki played the bass on some of Blonde on Blonde. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and he used to live across the street from me, across the streetcar tracks, and we'd throw <laughs> rocks at each other. <laughs> and neither of us was very good, so we never hit each other. But one day I hit him in the forehead with a rock. Oh, jeez. And he runs, he, he cries and runs in his house. And I thought, well, the little wimp, now he's going to tell his dad. But yeah. he comes back out with his big brother. Like, I didn't know he had oh. a big brother. <laughs> so then I'm the little wimp running from my life, you know. Right. But uh, the big Did brother, Joe, you? he was a trumpet player, a jazz trumpet player. Uh-huh. A good one. Did he catch you? No, no. <laughs> no. Uh, thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> I don't know how I got onto all that. I don't either, but I think, I, you know, I think you ought to write a song about that whole thing. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, it's, it's all well, there. I, I actually, I won't go much into it, but I have a song about a lot of that stuff. Uh, yeah. That's definitely going to be on the new record. Good. Good. Yeah, it comes from meditating on a, and a, a photo that I took. Of uh, when I was down in North Alabama, my 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 late uncle Carl took me around, and he showed me this old fallen-in shack out in the field. You couldn't even get to from the road. It's like like a hundred yards away, uh-huh. as close as you could get. And he said that was the Vest Mission. That's the place that you know our family set up. Uh, and black and white used it for their services and had these circuit riding preachers come through. Uh-huh. And we went around, uh, around the woods and came out on top of a hill. And there was another building that was, uh, looked like a small barn now being used as some kind of farm storage shed. Yeah. And he said, uh, that's where your dad lived when he was a kid. Wow. In that building when, uh, your grandparents were sharecroppers. Uh-huh. Uh and, and 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 to think of my family and my dad as a kid living in this place of rotted wood and yeah you know with the you know it wasn't insulated wind blowing right through the cracks in the walls yeah uh and having to to go out in in some system uh of sharecropping where everything you made had to be turned over to somebody else right with his thumb on the scale yeah, uh, I, 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 a lot of that has uh, been resonating with me lately, and I've written some stuff about that. Great. Great. Yeah. Great. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, with that to look forward to. <laughs> uh, thanks for thanks for doing one of these with me, David. That's been a long yeah. time since I talked to you. I'm glad. I wish you'd been here in in, in this weekend uh, because. We had a New Orleans jazz funeral in downtown Victoria. Is that right? Yeah, a fellow named Herman Neweller who who created the greatest jazz club in, in all of Canada, maybe in North America, Herman's Jazz Club right here in uh-huh. Victoria. Uh-huh. He passed on uh, recently. And so we had a, a jazz procession with parasols and oh, nice. 
brass band playing in the street for Herman. Yeah. We did a memorial show for him that was sold out thing. Uh, people line, we had to turn some people away. I'm sorry to say because there just wasn't any. You know, the fire marshal will only let us let so many in the building. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But this this club is is going on. But it was really something to see. I mean, this is a guy that kept jazz alive here for 35 years. Oh. And all the musicians turn out to play. Yeah, yeah. Tribute to him. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Nice. Hey, you know, music's full of stories of somebody like that who kept it alive for it for others. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like you. Me. Yeah. I'm, try, I'm trying to keep myself alive. Well. <laughs> You should let somebody else do that. You're not so good at it. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, Tom. <laughs>